0: Welcome to the ministry of Mercy Seek Ministries and Evangelist Pat and Karen ChatSign. We believe that the message you are about to hear will mightily change your life. Open your heart, mind, and spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to move in you. We must declare it to the next generation.
1: We're going to talk for a few minutes about part two, the pits, the graves, and the wells of ministry. Remember what I told you that Colossians 1 verse 13, God rescued us from dead in alleys and dark dungeons. He set us up in the kingdom of the Son. He loved so much the Son who got us out of the pit we were in, got rid of the sins we were doomed to keep repeating. We told you part one was God will always rescue you. Part two, never lose your respect and fear for God. Part three, realize God always has your back. Did I know a couple days ago, I'm getting ready to go do TVN, and I walk into the lobby of the hotel where I'm at, and my ride is waiting to carry me, and they go, oh, by the way, we have an appointment with David Green at Hobby Lobby. God is a God of expectation. God's a God of let me interrupt your day. Let me mess your day up. Let me show you how big I am. And I'm sitting there going, people try for years to get in there, and Number four, remember your defeat, your, your, your words define your future in ministry. And then number five, lust is always around the corner from the chosen. If the enemy can get you to settle for the pot of soup, you'll never keep your birthright. Remember what happened to Esau? He's out hunting for three days. He's a hairy man, he's a manly man, comes walking in. His brother Jacob, who's a deceiver, sitting there holding a bowl of soup. And he goes, oh, i got to have that. I didn't catch anything for three days. I've been hunting and haven't found anything. And all of a sudden, he hands him the bowl of soup, and he goes, hold on for a second. Before you eat that bowl of soup, I need you to give me your birthright that no longer are you first, but I'm first. Now, we know that when they came out of the womb, Jacob was hanging onto his heel because his name means heel grabber, deceiver. God would later change it after a wrestling match to Israel, beloved, blessed. But what you got to understand is Esau, in his immaturity and his stupidity, sells. He was the millionaire of the day. He was the richest man in the world. He sells his birthright for a bowl of convenience. He gives it up. All because he wasn't willing to just hold on. There's a better meal coming. There's a feast coming. He could have put out a whole table, man. He could have had all the food in the land. But he settled. Temporary pleasure conquered a long-term anointing. 30 seconds of pleasure will destroy 30 years of ministry. I got a phone call today driving here from a guy that was great at one point. But one moment. He throws everything away, and now he's trying to get back in there again. He started a youth ministry, and I'm like, okay, I need you to come speak, and I'm like, okay, uh, I'll come speak. You'll need to call my office, but gosh, I remember when he had greatness on him, but he settled. He settled for He settled. Now, number six. What is number six of the Pits, the wells, and the graves of ministry. Remember, Jesus said, Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. I know we're supposed to be doing chapel like shouting and dancing and me preaching. No, I want to give some foundational stuff to you that you'll be able to keep these notes forever and you'll be able to say, Am I doing this right? Number six of the many that we wrote out, and Pastor Jeremy is going to help me, and of course, Pastor Karen's going to help me, and I'm going to do point six. Karen's going to do point seven. Pastor Jeremy's going to do point eight. I'm going to come back to nine, and then we'll see where we go from there because we don't have as much time. But number six, This is a big one. Guard against academic overthrow of the anointing. What do you mean by that? Look what it says in Matthew 23, verse 27. You're hopeless. You religion scholars and Pharisees, frauds. You're like manicured grave plots, grass clipped, and the flowers bright. But six feet down, it's all rotting bones and worm eaten flesh. People look at you and think you're saints, but beneath the skin, you're total frauds. Isn't that a scripture? Isn't that a word for today? It reminds me of the election and people that were supposedly spiritual leaders in America standing up there. And I've, I've watched them, and yet they don't mind if babies get murdered. They don't mind if, if we go against Matthew 19 and, and men and men marry and women and women marry. And, and, and you need to guard against this in your generation because now it is so chic. It became cool to be gay. Now you're a bigot if you, be, if you believe it's a sin. I'm telling you, I'll die my last breath telling the truth. In fact, I'm writing a message called Truth or Consequences right now for youth camps this summer because I'm going to tell them the truth and the consequences of those truths because it's going to cost you something. They hated Jesus because he told the truth. He dressed like a servant, rode a donkey instead of a white horse because he wanted to be able to tell the truth to the common man. He would go eat with the Zacchaeus. Say, come on down here. Everybody hates your guts. Nobody's going to eat lunch with you, so let me go eat with you. And he went against and defiled everything that the world thought of. And some of you guys honestly believe, well, isn't it just okay if they're happy? If, if, if gay people get married? I mean, we, we all have rights. Number one, the Constitution is never more powerful than the Word of God. Number two, you have to understand perversion can never be okayed. Does that mean we don't show love and compassion? Absolutely. You're looking at a guy that wrapped his arms around a transvestite or actually a man that had had a sex change in, in, in uh, San Francisco whose life was transformed by, by the new book. But now follow me because academic overthrow of the anointing. Pastor Jeremy's sitting with me right here, so I'm going to actually let him speak to number six because here's a man that is very learned, a man that has the degrees, a man that went to college for 10 years, But what I love about him, he hasn't thrown, uh, he hasn't allowed the depth of theology to overthrow the power of the Spirit. Together, they're dangerous. Now, there's a lot of Christians out there that don't have any academic. I'm just going to go preach. You're going to be stupid. Because I can look at you and say, what's the Pentateuch? And you go, what's that? That's the first five books of the Bible. What's an epistle? And I'm sure you guys all took your test, the Bible test, uh, at the beginning of the term, but um, am I right? They, they took the Bible test. What's the, the epistles and the disciples and all that stuff? Okay. Um, what's the epistles? You know, the letters from Paul. What, uh, you know, what are the seven churches in Revelation? It so amazes me. We want to preach to, the gener- to a generation and offer them hope and healing, but we don't even know the Bible we preach about. So it's about having the academics, with spirit, Pastor Jeremy, speak to this.
0: Sure, is this one on? You got me, Aaron. Welcome to my life. I understand. Um, I would say, Pat, Pastor the Pat, that the thing that has uh, protected me—I spent ten years at the University of Alabama and uh, walked away stronger in my faith than when I entered. Uh, and I, and I think the reason is is because. I saw uh, truth through the lens of Scripture. I had a foundation in the understanding of who God, God is, and I had an understanding of Scripture. And so when I encountered truth, whether in a, a, hum, in a, in a biology class, um, humanities class, in an English class, in a literature class class, I was always able to identify truth because I understood truth from God's Word. And so I could connect the truth that was written by a non-believer but was deposited in them by God through the lens of Scripture. Does that make sense? So I was always identifying the truth that is truth because it's God's truth, whether somebody recognizes it or not, because I would begin to see it through the lens of Scripture. And, and, and that became the lens through which I viewed everything. And I, the other thing that I have come to understand um, over the years relative to that Is in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Apostle Paul begins talking about how he comes to the Corinthians church. Uh, do, Do you know that passage? Like in verse 2, it says, I did not come with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. You know where Paul was before he went to Corinth, what city he visited? Acts chapter 17 tells us this. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul spent time in Athens. And in Athens, the Scripture says that he debated with the Stoic philosophers. Well, he, he debated literally with the men and the women, primarily the men, who constructed the educational system that we currently have today. Do you know the education system that we have today was constructed in the time period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the 400 years of silence? The Greek Stoic philosophers arose on the scene to provide truth in the absence of truth. I don't know if you know that or not. So during that time period, uh, we have the educational system, the Greek philosophy that serves as the basis of the educational system that we have today. So Paul goes in Acts chapter 17 and begins to debate with those people, and they, Paul debates wisely. He debates pers- uh, persuasively. He does an incredible job of debating with them about the gospel, and this was their response. This is very interesting to us. Would you come back and debate with us again tomorrow? He has no fruit to his ministry whatsoever in Athens. So he leaves Athens, and he goes to Greece, and he goes to Corinth, and, he, and, he, and this is what he does. He says, I'm not going to come to you with wise and persuasive words. I'm going to come with you with a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God. Why did pa- Paul make that transition? Because he saw that an intellectual discussion does not lead to conver- uh, conversion. Conversion is a response to a confirmation to your message. And Paul said, I'm going to come and confirm my message through signs and wonders. And so don't ever, 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 in your pursuit of understanding God and in your pursuit of understanding the Scriptures, cease to offer a confirmation to your message through signs and wonders. Your message should always have that confirmation. And so I just want to encourage you in that and uh, declare everything is filtered through the truth of the Scripture, and you'll see truth everywhere you go.
1: Go Is
2: Is this one on? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Number seven is in the hard times, remember that you are not bigger than Jesus. I think so many times we try to figure out things on our own, and we think we've got everything figured out. Uh, but Romans eight fifteen through seventeen says this resurrection life you receive from God God is not a timid, grave tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what next, Papa? I love that. What's and next? And so Papa? what's next, God? What's next, Dad? What are we gonna do next? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who He is, and we know who we are father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we're certainly going to go through the good times with him. But I see a lot of the problem is that we want to go through the good times with him. When we're going through the good times with God, oh my goodness, praise God. I'm so in love with Jesus. I'm so in love with, you know, doing his work. I'm so excited about what's coming next. Things are going great. God's call is on my life. And, you know, my finances are good. My family's healthy. But then the first time adversity hits, We don't want to go through the hard times with God. We just want to get back to the good times. But it's in those hard times with God that we learn his heart, that we learn his heart for for us and walking through the hard times I've I've told many times in my messages that I speak to women I've been through some hard times in my life but I wouldn't change them for the world I don't regret walking through hard times because they made me who I am today because it was in the hard times with God that he didn't necessarily change my situation he changed me he changed who I was. He changed how I viewed the world. He changed how he changed my selfishness. He changed, you know, all of those things about me. It was in the hard times that drew me closer to Him. It's easy to praise God during the hard, or during the good times in our life. It's easy to praise Him when everything's going great. But during the hard times in our life is the times that we grow. It's the time if we're walking through it with him, if we realize who our father is, if we realize who our God is, that he's in control of everything. You know, we can go through the same old things in our life over and over and over because we keep failing the test, because we don't lean on God during those times, because we don't listen to his voice. But it's during those times that he teaches us patience, that he teaches us, you know, strength, that he gives us discernment, that he teaches us how to hear his voice in the hard times, not in the good times. And so during hard times, we have to realize that it's not in our own strength that we make, make it through. It's in the hard times that strength rises up, that faith rises up, that joy can rise up in you because you know in whom you believe. So during the good times, you can prepare and seek him and fall more in love with him so that during the bad times you know who to run to. Well, anyway.
1: and I think that's why Isaiah and Job both said there's treasures in darkness. Yeah. They both said it's refining yeah. into gold. Yeah. Uh, because and it,
2: sometimes during the good times, I mean, I'll just be honest, in the good times, we get lazy. We're just, absolutely. we get lazy during those times. And it takes walking through a little fire to get us to run towards him again.
1: Well, and this leads right to point eight, which is your God confidence is tied to your prayer life. Mm-hmm. When I am not praying, I'll be honest with you, when I am not praying like I should, when I am not seeking His face, doubt overwhelms the voice that I should be listening to. I'll doubt crazy stuff. Is God real? I mean, uh, can God still heal all those things, and the whole time God is calling to you saying, but I have plans, I've got dreams for you, I've got visions for you. In Acts 4.31, I love this. While they were praying, the place where they were meeting trembled and shook. While they were praying, the place where they— uh, Let me let me give you a copy of something. I, I hope I didn't delete it. Oh, I probably did. Um, something really cool that happened last night. I, I did. I deleted it. Oh, I can't believe I deleted it. No, 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 I didn't. I didn't because I think it was a text. Um this is for the church we're at this weekend. Here you go. Ready? This is what, this is what, this is, this is the kind of stuff that I enjoy. Um, this is last night. That's the prayer meeting for this weekend. North Carolina. Now, tell me, I'm not excited about this weekend see what God does in work. Carolina. This is hundreds gathered praying. What right do we have to show up and preach to these people if we don't pray like this? They, they don't care. I don't know what God's going to do. My team better be ready because I may write all new messages for every service like I did in Houston that time. I don't have time for it. Oh, I got busy. Uh-uh. <laughs> don't go. Replace them. You, I think we're learning like last Thursday. We're just done with futility. And foolishness. I'm going to let y'all listen to that for a second. This is the place, while they were praying, the place that, where they were meeting trembled and shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak God's Word with fearless confidence. Some of you do not have confidence because you do not pray. You talk. You want to change? You want to transform cities? That's a prayer meeting. Well, I, I just... I don't know who I, uh-uh. This is who we are, are and who we will be with or without. You got what I'm saying? And this is where we're going to be. This, this, He just recorded the prayer meeting for me. This is what we're going to do Saturday morning in North Carolina. You're speaking most likely Saturday night. This is who we are. Are you getting this? That's what it's about. And understand something. You will never have confidence to declare your message if you haven't first heard your message from him. So if you don't take time to pray, you don't take time to seek his face, you don't take time to cry out. How in the world are you going to know what God's speaking to you? Because he's called you to greatness. He's called you to anointing. But it's so amazing. It's what we said a few minutes ago, the difference in prophetic and word of knowledge. If you have a word of knowledge for somebody, share it. It means God's opening. He's letting you see. And I promise you, it's always an encouragement. It's the way it's supposed to be done. But. If you spent time in prayer, you'll start having those treasure hunt encounters where God will speak to you about somebody when you walk up to them. But doing ministry without a prayer life is like trying to drive a car without oil. You're going to sling a rod. It's not going anywhere. It may look good and it may look fancy, but a car without oil or without gas is going nowhere. You got what I'm saying? And I've done ministry without a prayer life. And it just leaves you empty and stale. But God says, Your confidence is tied to your prayer life. Number nine is trust the provider. Now, here's a man that took over this church that we're sitting in. This church was, for all intents and purposes, broke when you took it, down to, you know, 100 people or more. Jeremy, who's, this is how cool God is, his whole background is in business and finance. So, all of a sudden, they're looking for a pastor. He could literally, because of his degrees, go make a lot more money. But God says, I'm going to put you here, and you're going to take this thing. And he had already been administrator for five years, so he knew the, the inner workings of the whole house. But this number nine is trust the provider. And I'm going to read the Scripture, Hebrews thirteen five, Don't be obsessed with getting more material things. Be relaxed with what you have, since God assured us, I'll never let you down, never walk off and leave you. We can boldly quote God is there, ready to help. We can boldly quote, God is there, ready to help. I'm fearless no matter what. Who or what can get to me? He's my provider. I'm not obsessed with more material things. Speak to this.
0: Sure. Um, I, I, this is something that I'm coming to understand. As Pat said, the church was um, in incredibly horrible financial situation. And um, one of the things that I felt like I had to do uh, is is balance the budget um, because it hadn't been balanced in several years, and that was part of the problem. So I balanced the budget and began stewarding the resources that God had entrusted into our care well. This is what I'm coming to understand, though. You can't steward your way out of problems. You faith your way out of problems. Um, you walk by faith and not by sight. Now, here's, can I tag that? I, I think sometimes if we're not careful in our culture and our environment, we'll become so stewardship, wisdom, prudent, choice-driven that we eliminate faith from the equation. Or we make faith an addendum. Faith is not the addendum of your journey. It is your journey. So good. See, the, what is the addendum to your faith journey is wisdom, prudence, Wisdom, prudence, stewardship. Okay? And so you, you've got to learn how to walk by faith. We have a $19,000 a month mortgage. I can't even hardly fathom that. But we've made it every month. And in the process of making it every month, we've, in, we've added an entire staff to our congregation. Um, we have money in the bank like we've never had before. And, and it's because we walk by faith and not by sight. God is our provider. He has the cattle on a thousand hills. He has resources that I know not of. I have not because I ask not. So I'm going to ask. Now, all faith doesn't exclude you from being wise, sp- prudent stewards of the resources God has given you. But those things don't get you out of your fix. True. Faith gets you out of your fix. And you got to believe that God's big enough to take care of it, and you know that this is what you're called to do. Can, can, I, can I, about the number eight you mentioned, confidence is tied to your prayer life. Can I give you two reasons why your prayer life produces confidence? Number one, your prayer life causes you to remember what God has done, and that builds your confidence. And number two, prayer teaches you to think like God, and thinking like God builds your confidence. And thinking like God... It's And remembering what God has done lays the foundation for me to understand that God is my provision, God's my source, so I'm going to walk by faith and not by sight.
1: Here's what I want to say. I am learning that your level of financial miracle really only comes with three things. Pastor Jeremy just said faith, and, and faith is the broad, it's the painting of the wall. It is, But the details to that, to tie to your financial miracle in ministry, is intent of heart. Can God trust your heart? Number two, stewardship of what you already have. And, what, you know, if you're faithful to small, he'll give you authority over the great. I mean, that's Joseph. That's all through the Bible, every great person. Uh, Moses was faithful guarding the few sheep out in the wilderness, and then God said, well, let me get, let me increase your sheep to three million. And so, but then the third thing, I honestly believe this with all my heart, not just proper stewardship, not just tithing and sowing and reaping and, and those type of things. Some of you by the way, who who in here doesn't pay tithe? If you get somebody sends you ten bucks, who who has a problem with that? Anybody? Because because if you do, you can't stay. Because my dad always taught me, you just don't sleep in the same house with a thief. And so because you won't make it in ministry if you're not a giver, you just won't. I mean, I let Karen will tell you. She looks at me the other day and I said, I need you to start letting me have cash because we're not we're going to to a cash system versus using credit cards. Uh when we need him and she goes she looked at me and she goes but you'll give it all away When you have cash she's right But i'm never broke Because I give it all away If i'm in a service, I give it all away Because I just believe in that Sowing and reaping mentality and nothing is mine. I'm here to steward everything As long as you'll always keep in mind that it belongs to god first. You'll never take improper ownership if you, if you, if it belongs to God, you but then the third thing I would, I would say that, what was the first two? Somebody help me. What? Intent of heart and stewardship of what you already have. Don't ask God for the more if you uh, have a concept that you'll always be poor because God will never ever trust you with the great things unless you're going to give it away. You know what the president of Hobby Lobby told me? He said, God keeps growing this company because he knows I've already given it to him. Not just indeed. We actually wrote it all off. It doesn't belong to us. He's a billionaire and nothing belongs to him. When he dies, it all goes. He said, it's not mine. Not, he said, we've actually, everyone in our family, and when a grandchild gets 18, they have to sign off. This does not belong to me. Or they can't be a part. Yeah. And he said, I've got houses, I've got cars, I've got everything. None of it matters to me. All I, all I want is yeah. the gospel to go forth. And then the third thing I would say when it comes to finances is when you live in an opportunity to bless, God will make opportunities for you to be blessed. When you live in an opportunity to always bless, God will always open doors for you to be blessed. And so never let finances control. Yes, you have to have wisdom. and Yes, you have to have stewardship. But I think that what Pastor Jeremy said a moment ago is I have just learned that you cannot run your ministry like a business. You need principles of business because we don't operate by what man can do. We operate by what God can do. And God is, yeah, God's numbers are funny numbers. They never add up. I mean, think about it. A prayer can set 1,000 to flight. Two praying can set 10,000. Where is a math equation in there? I'm talking about demons, sending them out. Where's the math equation? There is no math equation. The things that God says, 30, 60, 100 foe, He chooses primary, or non-primary numbers and says, this is going to work. What I'm saying is, God's mathematics don't line up. It just doesn't. He says, David, you count your men, so how many he ended up killing? 70,000 or something like that. that. All through the Bible, the numbers don't add up. There's no like, well, God always counts four and divides by three. And, <laughs> no, there's no way. What I'm saying is, When's the last time you literally prayed not for a need when it wasn't tied to your own personal gain? I mean, really prayed. Lord, I got to pay for my schooling right now. I can tell you a check came in yesterday for you, $1,500. Did you know that? Now, how did that happen, DJ? We're sitting at a table with a group of key leaders, and two of them, one says, Starts asking questions, says, I'm going to pay, I'll pay half your tuition. Another one sitting next to him, I'll pay the other half. All because I looked at you and said, hey, come eat with me so I've got somebody with me. Right? That's what God does. Right place, right moment, right time. But if you looked at me and said, Pastor, I'd really rather go hang out with everybody else because they're all going to play games over there. But you didn't do that. You looked at me and said, okay. I said, come on, DJ, you're with me. Right place, right moment obedience. See what I'm saying? Okay, and then here's the last one, and we'll be done. Keep God's love in your heart. This is, again, the pits, the wells, and the graves of ministry. Keep God's love in your heart, and fear will not win. And I'm gonna let Karen speak to this, but because I have found out the greater the anointing, the greater the isolation, the greater the anointing, the, the bigger the demons get. Reminded of Smith Wigglesworth was walking downstairs one time, and he heard something going on, and he looked, and he opened his parlor door in his house, and there were demons sitting in there playing poker. And he looked at him, and he said, just make sure you shut the lights off when you're done. Went back to bed. I think of Lester Summerall, the great missionary. I'm going to be preaching for his grandson next month on their TV show in Indiana. The great missionary that, that led Rod Parsley to Christ. Lester Summerall was in Africa. One day, he's sound asleep. He's in a hut. Big old brass old bed. He's laying in it. All of a sudden, the bed starts shaking uncontrollably and slides out in the middle of the floor. He realizes there's, there's a witch doctor outside praying against him, calling demonic incantations against him. He wakes up and he goes, in Jesus' name, stop. He lays there for a few minutes and realizes that old bed's big. It, it, it stops. He lays there for a few minutes and goes, I don't want to move this in the morning. In Jesus' name, put the bed back. Bed went right back. See, you've got to live in that kind of mindset. The times during the Holocaust when people that had a Bible would be standing completely naked being searched with a Bible in their hand and no one would see it. The time where Chinese today. Christians in Saudi Arabia go walking through checkpoints with cases of bibles and nobody sees them. That's a little bit bigger than whether or not you got enough to buy a Starbucks. You see what I'm saying? That's a little bit bigger than who am I? Cuz these people they let their faith down and they die. They have no way to let their faith is not something they depart from. They'll depart from food, clothes, baths but they won't depart from faith faith is something they never lose grip of that's the way it was with standing in david green's office here he is he's showing me this massive corporation he's being attacked by the obama administration but he's he just says i'm going to die for this because i won't have babies' blood on my blood on my hands so first john four seventeen. God is love. We take a permanent residence in a life of love. We live in God, and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house. I love this. Because at home and mature in us, so that we're free of worry on judgment day, our standing in the world. I love this because this basically says you shouldn't worry about whether or not you're saved. You're supposed to know. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There's no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear since fear is crippling a fearful life fear of death fear of judgment is is one not yet fully formed in love if you live in fear God says you have not been captured by his love not truly you've not I guess my book helped me because I just understand his love that it's unfathomable I have a great understanding of something I, it's impossible to understand does that make sense God's love is, is to truly understand God's love is not to understand it at all. Yeah. It's, at the, it's another level. Speak to this real quick that keep God's love in your heart and fear will not win because you've fought fear. You've mm-hmm. conquered fear. I have too.
2: Yeah, I mean, when we live in a constant state of being in God's love, you know, so many times, I mean, love, being in God's love is a choice for us. We walk in and out of it all the time because we feel like we just go on vacation to our love beach house with God sometimes, you know. And we go there when we want to feel significant, when we want to feel like we're doing something, you know, we'll visit that area. But then we walk away, and that's not what God wants. God says, I am love and if you're in me then you are in my love and so there's no room for fear in that there have been situations i mean when pat and i first started traveling i didn't like to be by myself at home you know with a small child and everything and there were times that you know things would happen and you know nate would sleep you know with me when pat was out of town and and he would wake up in the middle of the night and he would go mom and it would be, you know, that voice that would wake me up that God would use to call me to prayer. There was one time in, uh, in an apartment that we lived in that God woke me up because someone was trying to break in the front door of our apartment he
1: woke her up through
2: Nate's voice. Through Nate's voice. And, so, and so I began to pray and intercede, but it wasn't out of fear. It was out of, that's what I'm supposed to do. Because I believe that in that moment in calling on my father and that love that I know that he has for me as his child, that he's going to protect me, that I know that the biggest, baddest angels were uh, standing at the front door. And those I heard somebody jiggling the door trying to get in, but then I heard them abruptly quit. And so I know that they ran away because God was protecting me. And Nate, while Pat was gone, while he was gone, But so many times we run around and we're like, does God love me? Does God love me? And so we try to find that that love in everywhere else when God says, if you truly dive in to me. And grow close to me. It's that maturity in him that brings you to that perfect place of love in him. That as you draw closer to him, you understand more and more his love for you. And that it isn't just a wishy-washy love that if you do this, I love you. If you No, it's unconditional. And that we don't need to fear. We don't need to fear for our provision. We don't need to fear for our safety. We don't need to fear for any of those things because God takes care of his children. And the moment that fear comes into our life, it's going to attack everybody. I mean, things are going to come up. There's always those moments that fear is going to rise up. But it's submitting to God and saying, I'm not going to allow because the enemy is a terrorist. He deals in fear. He deals in terror. And so the enemy is always going to try to bring that into you. But I know who to run to when the bully comes knocking on my door. I know who protects me. I know who protects my family. I'm not going to, every time I drop my daughter off at school, live in fear that someone's going to come and bring terror into that school because I know in whom I believe. And no matter what happens in my life, no matter what circumstances come up, It doesn't change God's love for me. It doesn't change the fact that he loves me. And so we have to understand how much God loves us, that it is our permanent residence, not just our vacation house.
1: That's a brilliant statement. And, you know, guys, last night I I had Abby do something because she's at the critical age now beginning to build Jesus in her, not just Jesus being Santa Claus. And so we're sitting on the couch. She's looking at me, and we're just having this deep conversation. And and, uh, it all started with asking about slavery. Are we going to talk about her homework? And all of a sudden I said, Abby, hold out your hands. And she held them out in front of her those cute little hands, and I said, there are so many gifts and miracles in these hands. She just looked at me. I said, no, you don't understand. God's given you so many gifts and miracles. Team. The reason why we're doing the pit, the wells, the graves of ministry and we're not we're just scratching the surface is we begin to feel that some of you guys don't even have a concept of ministry. But I taught you recently the number one word for ministry is what? Madison? Number one word? It's not love. Okay, hold on. It's not brokenness because there's days I'm not loving. There's days I'm not broken. It's not discipline. There's days I'm not disciplined. It's not passionate because there's days I have no passion. Uh, there's, there, it's not um, gifted because there's days my giftings aren't working. It's what? Somebody help me? Teachable. The number one word for ministry is teachable, pliable. That at any moment, God can interrupt you and change you and teach you, speak things to you, take you to another level. Spending your life making sure you're the one that says, I'm sorry. Spending your life making sure you're the one that says, use me, God. And spending your life making sure that you don't lose the adventure of this thing. That's what it's about. Am I right? God, just use me. We're going to start with part three, talking about honor next week. What does honor mean? Who do you honor? What, what do you respect? So as we end this CD, if you're listening by CD or podcast, understand the graves, the pits, and the wells. We've got to get to that understanding. A grave, a pit, and a well all look the same. But each one offers different things for your walk. We all have to die. Jesus said, unless you die... That's why I'm doing a whole thing on wine right now, doing a whole thing on grapes. That grape is worthless till it dies. It's got to rot. It's got to be stomped on. That's why Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine because wine represents the process of Christianity to taste good. You've got to go through the dark. You've got to be locked away and forgotten. You've got to rot. You've got to be stomped on. You've got to be fermented. You've got to go through all this stuff to eventually be in the glass. And that's the walk. The Christian walk is defined by turning water to wine. We're going to go into that deeper later.
0: Thank you for listening. We pray that this word would sit in your spirit and transform you. For more information or to become a covenant partner with Mercy Seat Ministries and Evangelist Pat Karen Chatsline, you can log on to www.mercyseatministries.com.